Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Today, we're talking about leadership in startup organizations. You may have started your own organization and have created the leadership position that you're in right now, or you may have been hired into an organization and risen up through it. Either way, you're going to find a lot of really great insights in today's interview. Our guest started an organization and ended up selling it to another larger organization. During that time, he learned a lot, and he used that insight that he picked up along the way to start a couple different companies, and we're going to get to a little bit more about him in just a second. But first, it's great when you have time to listen to podcasts, but sometimes you just need to get straight to the facts, and that's why we've put together the Leadership Action List. It's a year's worth of weekly action steps to improve your leadership. If you want to be a noticeably different leader in one year, this simple but effective resource is for you. Download this list for free at leadershipactionlist.com. Once again, for an entire year of weekly leadership development, go to leadershipactionlist.com. Our guest today is the CEO of Uvaro and Kite. Uvaro is a tech sales career accelerator, and Kite is a sales enablement platform purpose-built to provide sales teams with the information they need when they need it. He's a repeat founder and CEO and speaks frequently on the topics of sales leadership, diversity, and corporate social responsibility. He's an active early-stage investor who ensures that the majority of his investments are into women-led companies. He also sits on the boards of Communitech, the Golden Triangle Angel Network, and and the Kitchener-Waterloo Symphony. Here is Joseph Fung. Joseph, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Josh. Looking forward to today's chat. This should be a lot of fun. So I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. Are you ready for these? Absolutely. Let's go. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Oh, feedback is a gift. I mean, so many people have said it, Warren Buffett, so many great leaders, but I wish I knew where it came from first because that's been such a profound one for me. So yeah, feedback, feedback is a gift. Probably Benjamin Franklin, right? I know, it goes all the way back. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is... So first I'd anchor on open to new information. And I know that's not one word, that's not one adjective, but that, that's my first one. Open to new information, um, self-aware, uh, and then last, led by their own convictions. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? They should be asking themselves, and this is more of a template than just one question. They should be asking themselves, what should I do? What will I do when X happens? If you can think about those bad, difficult, painful situations, those crises that are going to come up and ask yourself what you should do, then when you find yourself in those situations, you can follow not just your best practice, but you can avoid that trap of making a snap judgment in a moment of panic. So yeah, a little bit of preparation there. 
What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? There are so many, and I'm sure everyone's got a long list ahead of them. But if you want something short, concise, you're going to get something you can act on right away. I'll point to Leaders Under Fire. It's one that I read recently. Conway Fraser gives you some immediately actionable tips on how to handle PR and public communications crises. So as a leader, there's a great one to have on your shelf. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? I'd start asking your team for anonymous feedback regularly, right away. Just get a regular email going out. Use a Google form. Start getting that feedback so your team can build that muscle before you get to a crisis situation and need it intimately. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Oh, you have to ask both. Asking why is what's going to keep you on focus and on point. And when you know your internal why, that's what keeps you motivated when times get tough. But you also have to ask why not? You know, when you ask those things, why not now? Why not me? Why not grow by 10x? That's what's going to help you remove barriers and uncover paths to growth that others just don't see. So Joseph, we are here today to talk about your leadership, your experience as an entrepreneur. You've had a lot of experience in this world, and we don't often talk to founders and especially founders who have started multiple businesses. So I'm excited for our conversation today. To start off, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got into business and entrepreneurship. Is this something that you always had a vision for, or did you eventually grow into this this love and focus for your life? Yeah. You know, I think I've been really lucky where I had parents who were very entrepreneurial. So like a lot of entrepreneurs, you see those examples early on and their ability to enable me, to encourage me, give me that opportunity made it a very accessible thing. So I don't think I had to deal with that, that worry, that apprehension that others often have to. Uh, For me, my real journey as an entrepreneur started during my, my post-secondary education while I was at university and to go back to your early question, you know, why versus why not? A lot of people were telling me, you should wait till you graduate to launch your first business. And for me, you know, that big question, why not do it now? Why not launch my first company while I'm still in school? Really helped me figure out that, hey, I can do this right away. So I did. I launched my first business while doing my engineering degree. And yeah, that meant the engineering degree it took me eight years to finish, but set me on such a great path. And I, I would not have changed that for the world. What would you say your parents gave you mentality-wise or just life perspective-wise? You, you've mentioned that, that it was kind of their life experience and, and their trajectory for life that, that helped you to realize that you had potential that others may not have immediately realized they had. So what would you recommend to leaders or maybe even more specifically to parents about giving people the right perspective and the right belief in themselves so that they can achieve? This is, this is really tough. And I love that you phrased it to leaders and to parents. I've got two young children uh, as well. And I hope that I can challenge them in the same way that my parents did. Uh, but candidly, it's way easier with teams and employees. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it focused more there. Um, the big thing is asking, asking those questions that help people reframe their assumptions. Um, I'll give you a really good, good example. Early on in high school, I was you know, looking for a part-time job while I was of course, in high school, the obvious thing was fast food. Hey, should I work at Wendy's or McDonald's or something like that? And you know, it was my parents that challenged me to say, hey, why not, why not do something more lucrative? You know, just why not? And instead, I ended up doing graphic design, freelance, 
built ads, business cards, things like that for the people that were in my parents' network, but also people that I met. Uh, and so instead of working a minimum wage job, I was able to charge my time out at almost 50 bucks an hour. And as a high school student, wow, that was a great option. That, that 50 bucks an hour buys you a lot of Taco Bell. And so those questions like, hey, let's, let's challenge your assumption. Why, why only look at minimum wage opportunities? Why not look at something else? Those types of questions, I think, really helped frame you know, my sense of what was possible at the time. So in your career, you've had both successful exits of businesses as well as successful startups. That's a really cool thing to be able to say. And before the interview, we were talking about my interview with Kelly Powell a little while ago, and she was kind of focused on helping people to exit their businesses. I think it'd be interesting to hear from you about your experience and and maybe some recommendations to leaders who are are at either end of the spectrum, people who are looking to start something up and what leaders should be thinking in that regard, as well as what leaders need to be thinking about as they're looking to exit a business, whether it's because they're retiring or looking to move to something else. Yeah, that's such a great question because in so many ways, the decisions you make at the start are going to have an indelible imprint on what you do at the end. Uh, And I can think about so many so many parts of our business process that was influenced by the early decisions that we made. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Early on with one of my more recent companies, we talked a lot about doing things right. How do we make sure our our bookkeeping, our finances, our our intellectual property is all documented properly and set up properly? And when, when you're bootstrapping a company, when you're running your first company, it's really easy to push those questions to the back of your mind and worry about them later. But for us, the acquisition opportunity came up as a surprise. And so as we entered due diligence and had to really let them peek behind the curtains, if we had not done that early, that due diligence would have gone much, much harder. There would have been a much more difficult process. And whereas at the tail end, it actually, in their words, was the smoothest acquisition they'd ever made. And whereas in some deals... When you start with a letter of intent and the final deal price gets whittled down because they find little skeletons in the closet, for us, from that initial conversation, we're actually able to increase the deal value. So thinking about what's important really early on, those decisions have an interesting parallel at the tail end. And so your your immutables, like your culture, your values, what you want to stand for, you have to plan them really early on. You've got to put them, you know, put that marker in the sand right at the beginning because it'll have a big impact on on the outcome of your exit at the tail end as well. So I think it would probably be good for us to focus a little bit more on the startup side of things in some questions in just a second. But another thing that I'm thinking about, especially since you're not just exiting a company and then retiring like some people might, what what was the transition period like? Or did you always have something, uh, another business to, to transition to directly? What What did that interim period look like for you if you had one at all? Yeah. So, so for me, when we sold the company, you know, a lot of people talk to you when you're, you're selling a company and say, Hey, you're, how soon are you going to start your next thing? You know, you're, you're going to be out of there right away. Right. Uh, and they assume you have handcuffs or, or some type of legal agreement that forces you to stick around. I was really lucky in that we had the opportunity to look at our next round of investment, to look at selling the company. We had multiple options. And so when we sold it, not only were we able to strike a deal that didn't have those handcuffs. You know, everyone got that, hey, kind of get out of jail free money right away. We were able to build some really good alignment with the leadership team. And so in many ways, uh, NetSuite, the company that bought our company at the time, 
it felt a lot like the company we were going to grow up to be. So that transition, we had to we had to mature very quickly. Our expense policies changed, our travel policies changed, our hiring processes. But the decisions were ones that we likely would have made ourselves. So the whole company, we were able to see it as, hey, let's just grow up really quickly instead of rebuilding everything. And and for me, I stuck around for three and a half years, built the team even faster than I would have on my own. Uh, we ended up scaling to a couple hundred people across 14 offices. It was quite the ride. And you know, when I think about the the opportunity, knowing that we had our house in order, knowing that we didn't have to sell, we could look at this opportunity at face value, you know, let us make a decision based on the values, the culture, the alignment of the leaders. And that made the whole acquisition way better for them and for us. And from there, is that where you went and decided to start Uvaro? Yeah. So with the the time at NetSuite, I got a chance to see what it was like building a much larger business, working with the executive team as we crossed a billion dollar run rate. And when I did what I said I was going to do, uh, delivered on the products, the vision, the team that I'd promised them, I realized it was time to step away and start something new, pulled together a new team, took a look at the pain points that we had been solving in the past, found a different twist on it, and came up with the idea then. So it was very much a finish what we're committing to before we look at the next chapter. Uh, and then when we looked at that next chapter, the, the opportunity with Kite and Uvaro just became so clear. What is it that you would say that you learned at NetSuite that you probably would have eventually learned that you're using today in leadership, but that you were able to just learn so much faster through your experience there? Oh, it's such a good question. Uh, the first one it, that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have had who've gone through similar processes is that even at scale, a lot of the decisions are the same. They just have a couple extra zeros. So when you're thinking about where you're making investments, when you're you're thinking about uh, where you're pursuing strategies, how you're running your budgeting, your legal, there's so much that's similar. So that's the first thing kind of put by the wayside. Your experience at a smaller company applies in a much bigger company very, very well. The part that I think really helped uh, me mature as a leader and as a business owner was the value of processes and systems. Uh, in that, that suite as a company is super well organized from the way they sell, the way they market, the way they run their systems across all parts of the business. And while I always thought that my engineering background made me really good at systems thinking, uh, I got to see it at a hot much higher, more professional level within the NetSuite organization. Uh, and we've definitely seen that change the way we run our businesses at Kite and Uvaro as well. And, and I think that's been to the benefit, not just of us as a leadership team, but our entire entire staff. Would you say that that working at a company where kind of in your words, you're seeing multiple zeros instead of maybe smaller amounts of money, would you say that changes your perspective a little bit and gives you a little bit more confidence as you're starting up a new organization? Or does that not matter as much uh, mentality-wise, especially as you're looking to maybe grow your current business? I think it helps more with the, the kind of maturity of leadership. I mean, uh, if I think about when we founded my first company, there's definitely a little bit of, what's the right word? confidence driven by naivete. I mean, you don't know how daunting the challenges are. You, you, you don't know how big the problems are. And so you're, you're confident. You're like, hey, I'm going to tackle this. And then as you scale a business and as you grow it and you realize how tough it is, the responsibility on your shoulders, uh, you, you end up with this really strong fear, this sense of imposter syndrome, this sense of consequence. And you, you always wonder, are you up to the task? Hey, you've got 
a dozen people, two dozen people, a hundred people whose dinner depends on your ability to run the business, that's stressful. Seeing a bigger organization struggling with the same types of questions, again, there's just more zeros on the lines, is very reaffirming that, hey, you know, we can get through this, we can build this, and it actually brings you back to a place of confidence that you can overcome those challenges. So it's an interesting maturity curve where you start from a position of confidence to a position of fear and then return to a position of confidence. So now that you started up Uvaro, started up Kite, what are some thoughts about what leaders need to be taking seriously when it comes to starting an organization right? And this can be things that that you did or that in retrospect you would say, I'd probably tweak things just a little bit. What are some insights that you would have for, for leaders who are looking to create something strong from the beginning? Yeah, so, so number one, something that I think we stumbled into by accident with one of my first companies but has been a thread throughout them is – being very rigorous in the way you define your, your cultural values. And I don't mean simply running them down and putting them as a poster on the wall, but thinking about the second and third order processes that get influenced by them. Because if you can actually enshrine your values in every artifact of your business, you're going to have an easier time hiring the right people, onboarding them, realizing success. And not only will you have a better business, but if you ever choose to sell it, it'll be easier to find a business that aligns to yours. And so getting into the weeds, that means things like figuring out, hey, if you have a value of customer service, you know, writing down what that means, writing down the behaviors you would expect your leaders, your individual contributors, your managers to exhibit, writing down the questions you would ask in an interview to find evidence of those behaviors. This isn't just an exercise about, you know, write five values on a poster and stick it on the wall. It's about using them to actually drive your business. That's the first thing, the really big thing that I would anchor on is if you can get that right, you're going to bring on the right people and every other process, every other system you have is going to be easier to make successful. So could you talk a little bit more about bringing the right people into your organization? Obviously, you need the value piece correct, but from that point, how do you get the right people in place? Maybe maybe the right people in the right places. For sure. So I guess one of the things that's so interesting is the HR industry as a whole and most academic papers, most books, most studies aren't written in the context of an early stage company. They aren't written in the context of a startup. They're written in the context of companies that employ many people. And so all of that is based around an environment where you have defined roles, responsibilities, and the skills associated with them. So, so much that's out there around interview best practices, around hiring, around jobs, is really anchored on this idea of the skills necessary to fulfill certain tasks so you can complete a role. But that all breaks down. That all falls apart in an early stage company when you have to bring on teams and you have to bring on people and you have no freaking clue what they have to do. You don't know what it takes to be successful. And so to a certain extent, those books have to be thrown out. And what you really need to do is take a look not just at some of the core competencies, but really the judgment and values that they're going to exhibit. So the things that we point to are, you know, yes, cover your basics, have a good job description, figure out the skills, the abilities you need, the questions and the, the challenges that you can give someone to evaluate those. But more importantly, bring that same level of rigor to your culture. You know, so if you need people to be adaptable, thinking through 
hey, what are the, the questions, the tests that we can examine that will measure adaptability, not just do they know a software, can they write an invoice, you know, those, those harder skills. So yeah, we spend a lot of time as a company thinking about our sense of uh, alignment, not just from skills, but also from values. And then the second thing that we anchor on is throwing away the phrase culture fit and instead using culture ad. And especially in a world where people are thinking more and more about the diversity, the makeup of their teams, you know, stop asking yourself, how do I find people who fit my culture, but instead find people who can add to my culture. So yeah, the idea of they can fulfill our requirements, they can follow our values, that's given with the question. But now the next thing is, what is it they're going to bring to the table and how are they going to enrich us? Because especially in the early days, every person you add is going to change your team's dynamic. And so being really deliberate about what they're going to bring to the table is super important. Joseph, you've said a lot of great things in this interview, but if there's one takeaway I want to make sure people hear is what you just said. Culture ad is more important than culture fit. Use the idea of culture ad rather than culture fit. That's such a valuable takeaway for me and for the listeners of this podcast. So when it comes to culture, one of the things, especially values, one of the things that I'm curious about is as you're founding, as you're starting a company, how much of the company's values are your own values? That is such a good question. Inextricably, without doubt, a huge portion of them are influenced by that original founding team's uh, perspective, background. You can't avoid having your own fingerprint on the company, so don't try. So absolutely adopt a lot of those. But most importantly, and I, I think this is a trap a lot of founders fall into, is that you can't forget that your values are as aspirational as your vision. And when you say, hey, here's my company's vision, what you're saying is, this is the future I want to come, I, I want to make happen. Your company values are very similar in that. So you shouldn't focus on just the things you believe. You should be focusing on the things you want to be. So I'm going to give a really good example. If I look at our values as a company, you know, one of our values is uh, diversity and solidarity. And unequivocally, that comes from the place that me and my founder, co-founders are at in terms of the way we embrace diversity, we get on the same page, we pull in the same direction. But at the same time, other values that we have, play and responsibility, uh, if I had to point at any of our values that I don't do a great job at managing, it's that one. And partially that's because as a founder, I know that, hey, what gets me up in the morning is getting a lot of things done. That's my sense of a good time. I love filling my day. That doesn't leave a lot of room for fun. And so I tell the team, hey, you know, our values, fun, our play and responsibility if you had to pick one thing to help us do better at, pick that one because your leaders need help doing that. So yeah, there's definitely a place for both of those, the values that represent the leaders and where they are, but it's super important as you're defining them that you're writing down not just who you are today, but who you aspire to be as an individual and as a company. You mentioned feedback a couple of different times in those intro questions. Could you talk a little bit about the value of feedback as you have been leading organizations, as well as some of the best ways, in your opinion, to get accurate feedback from other people? I'm going to give a simple, a simple story that I think is really helpful in, in terms of anchoring my view. Uh, one, of, one of my earliest employees 
uh, I always had an open door policy and I, and I always phrased it that way. I've got an open door policy. You can come and tell me anything, anytime. Uh, and it was late in the work day. Most people had gone home and he came into my office and uh, told me, uh, he closed the door behind him and said, Joseph, you're being a jerk. That's how he opened up the conversation. Uh, and um, I mean, I think rightfully so. I was a little offended at first. I, mean, I could feel you know, blood rush to my face, was a little bit angry, taking a moment to calm down, letting him elaborate. And he explained that I was staying late every single day. And yes, we had clearly written values where we talked about work-life balance. You know, balance is important. But I wasn't living it. And because I wasn't talking about it either, people were hearing me say work-life balance is important, but seeing me stay really late and they felt like they weren't actually living up to my expectations. And because of that, I was really just being a jerk. And so we spent a lot of time not just helping me build some new habits in the way I communicate and manage my own time, but also the way we shared our values with the team. And if that employee had not been comfortable coming to me to give me that feedback, A, not only would I have not changed, so I wouldn't have grown as a person, but we likely would have suffered the loss of several employees who didn't want the work-life balance I was exhibiting. So when I talk about feedback, it's, it is about growing as a leader, but more importantly, it's also about creating healthy communications in an organization. I had a great mentor who, who talked to me about his idea of the leper organization. Um, we talk about you know, Hansen's disease. A lot of people know about it as leprosy. And it's this really terrifying disease. And you don't want your organization to be you know, thought of that way. But the underlying concept of the disease and the underlying challenge is that it attacks your nerves. So the communication paths from your fingers, your skin to the rest of your body don't function right. And you get bumps and bruises and, and wounds that you don't notice. And the same thing happens in your organization. If, if you shut down feedback, if you don't make it easy and safe and a habit for your people, your team to let information move upwards and sideways to the organization, your organization is going to suffer damage and hurts and bruises. That's going to prevent you from realizing growth and do long-term damage to your culture and your success. So Feedback sounds like this really simple, small thing, but it's super, super crucial to making sure you can move quickly, grow as an individual, and grow your business. Joseph, I really appreciate you sharing today on the podcast. You've brought some experience that we haven't had enough of here, talking especially about what to think about when starting something from the ground up. Before we finish up today's interview, are there any things you'd like to leave the listeners with, whether it's something we've talked about already that you'd like to reiterate or something that we haven't discussed yet in today's discussion? The only thing that I, I share is these ideas of giving and receiving strong feedback, You know, finding your place in an organization. These are a lot of the same things that we talk about in our training programs as well. So if ever anybody on listening to the show is happening to be thinking about a new career or wants to, to you know, get more of this type of material, they can always reach out to us. I, I'm available via our website or on social media. We're at uvaro.com. I'm on social media as Joseph Fung on most channels. So yeah, always happy to connect and, and refer more on that. Well, in addition to what you just shared, is there any other way you'd like people to connect with you if they have enjoyed what they've heard from our conversation today? Well, one of the big things they can check out is on YouTube. We share a lot of interviews with our instructors, thought leaders that we're bringing in. So they can also hit us up on youtube.com slash Uvaro. All right, Joseph, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thanks so much, Josh. 
Once again, if you'd like to find out more about Joseph and Uvaro, you can go to uvaro.com or any of the other numerous links that Joseph mentioned, which you can find in the show notes below. Now, let's go ahead and get to today's three key takeaways. The first takeaway is simple, and it's this. Feedback is a gift. This is something that Joseph shared early on, and it's something that, if you take it to heart, can be valuable not only for your own growth, but if you approach it correctly for the growth of everyone on your team. The second key takeaway is this. Processes and systems are extremely valuable. Pay attention to what people are doing at levels above you and learn from them, model them. Take what they've already gone through and try to adopt it in as much as it's applicable for yourself. And finally, and I said this in the interview and I'll say it again, this is extremely valuable. Throw away the term culture fit and instead adopt the term and look for people who have culture add. And speaking of adding things, one thing I would recommend that you add to your own leadership development and maybe to the leadership development for your team is the leadership action list. This is weekly leadership development for an entire year, 52 actions to improve your leadership. You can download this at leadershipactionlist.com. Once again, weekly leadership development for an entire year at leadershipactionlist.com. In addition to the downloadable action list, you're going to get one email per week for the entire year to make sure that you stay on track to consistently improve your leadership. Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist... It feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.